So much of what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, the last month or so, has been the result of this promise that God made right after we messed everything up, right after the fall. Adam and Eve broke their relationship with God. Everything's separated. Everything seems, seems awful and like there's no hope. And from that very moment, God made a promise, I am going to fix this. I'm going to make this right. Not because you deserve it, not because you've done anything, but because I love you and I want to fix this because I want to be with you. And all he's been doing throughout the whole Old Testament, as we've been looking at that, is making these like little small promises along the way and fulfilling every single one of them so that he's teaching the people that he made this big promise to, the big promise that he's going to send Jesus to come and fix sin. He's been showing us along the way that he answers his promises. He fixes things that he says he's going to fix. The things that Jesus promises he's going to do, he fulfills. And that's what we've been looking at for the last three weeks. And now we come to today. The day that we celebrate Jesus actually coming. Salvation actually coming to be with us here. The big answer to the big promise that he made from the very beginning. And so I just this morning am going to read a whole bunch of Bible over us. Like, I want us just to hear the way that God worked things out, the way that people responded to that, and then I want us to look ahead. I don't want us just to think it's great that he came and look at how they responded. Because, because here's the thing that we know as the church. It's that he's not done being with us. And he is coming back again. And he's going to be with his church now forever. And I want to read what that's going to be like. And I want us to get an idea of how amazing it, the idea of being with Jesus forever is. Because if, if anything that, that these last four weeks have caused me to think about is how small my picture of, what Jesus, like of who Jesus is actually is. And how much bigger I ought to be worshiping him. How much louder I ought to be celebrating him. How much more obviously I ought to be making how I feel about what it is that he's done. So before I read these, I just want to pray, and I'm going to pray that God will just work in our hearts this morning to kind of excite us for who his son is and what his son has done. So let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for how faithful you are how trustworthy you are. And God, I just pray that as we see the answer to your promise for hope being answered when Jesus came and we see the magnitude of that moment and we see how, how powerfully affected people were by your being here, that you will just stir up something in us that that is overwhelming, that, that the magnitude of that idea will just explode from within us. And as we leave here and we celebrate all sorts of things, as we, as we give or receive all sorts of presents, I just pray that, 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 that none of the excitement that we experience the rest of today or the rest of our week or wherever we go from here, that, that, that all of that would just pale in comparison to how exciting it is to know that we get to know you, we get to be with you, 
And ultimately, you're going to come back and you're going to be here with us forever. So God, I just pray that you would stir up something powerful in us, that you would, you would cause us to look like a church that is madly in love with its creator and madly in love with its savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So you should be in Luke chapter 2. All of these verses are going to be up here, so you can read, but if you, have, if you want a copy of the Bible so you can follow along, if you don't have one, let us know and we'll grab you one. We've got some in the back. You can just poke somebody on the outside of the row and they'd love to grab you one. Uh, I'm just going to read. And I got a couple of thoughts we'll talk about, but mostly I just want to let these words that we believe are inspired by the Holy Spirit, I hope that he will use these words to inspire us this morning. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and the kids just showed us this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in, their heart, in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord 
a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Stop there. Couple thoughts. First, it's so easy to focus on how humbly Jesus came and how, how small that may have seemed, and he didn't come, he didn't come with all this great glory and great fanfare, and he's just in a stable with the donkeys and the sheep and whatever else might be there, depending on whatever size nativity set you choose to buy. He didn't, he didn't come in that way, but, but here's the thing. Even though Jesus didn't come like a king, to those who were ready for him, he was received like a king. Right? Look at Simeon. He didn't come with all of this splendor. He came just according to the law. Like, we're just coming to present him at the temple just like any other kid. But because Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, was anticipating Jesus coming, because he was ready, we see this explosion of emotion erupt from within him. He grabs him and he glorifies God saying, God, this is your salvation. This is what you've been promising all along. He sees the big picture. This isn't just for me. This isn't just for Israel. He says, this is for the nations. This is for all of the Gentiles and for the glory of God. Right? He, there is a multitude of angels that appear in the sky singing glory to God in the highest. This really big, amazing, I'm sure bright and loud, just explosion of emotion that the shepherds get to see. But that same emotion is kind of shown in Simeon. Just this one simple guy who's probably really old and probably really tired, and it probably hurts him a whole lot. That's a beautiful angel picture. It's a book. Awesome. He's pro he probably, Simeon, he probably feels it every day. He gets up out of bed. He's probably a little bit tired, already a little bit sore. But the Holy Spirit tells him, today's the day. Today's the day that that small promise I made to you, that you get to see the big promise getting fulfilled, comes true. And I can just imagine that he, that he gets up a little bit quicker and he walks a little bit faster because he's excited because, because the king, the one that he's been waiting for, the one that he's ready to receive is here. And he wants to give him as close to a king's welcome as he can. Jesus came very humbly, but for those people who were ready for him, who knew what they were looking for, who understood the big picture of what God was working out, he was welcomed like a king. He was honored 
like a king. The shepherds were told, the king is here. And what does it say? As they left, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They got it. They understood who this baby was. They understood it might seem insignificant. He might be in a humble place, but I get it. I see it. It was a big deal. Everything changed when somebody that important came on the scene. And this was the sort of anticipation that I think Israel ought to have been having all along. They were looking, but they weren't ready for the right king, right? They were looking for the king that was going to come in splendor. They were looking for the king that was going to come with all of this pomp and circumstance and probably loud trumpet blasts and all of this. So they weren't ready when he actually got there to receive him the way that he deserved to be received. And I want us, as we're looking at this, to think, what's my heart state like? Am I looking for the right thing? Am I ready for Jesus to come back? Because, because here's what I want us to reflect on. Because if we just stop and say, that was amazing, they were ready, their hearts were in a good place, we can now, I, I, I love seeing how they worshiped, that's a great moral thing for us to learn, and that's fine. But, but here's the thing. He's coming back. When he left, he said, I will return. And, and, here's what, and when I read this, in just a second, what I'm going to read sounds a whole lot more like what, we were, what, what Israel was looking for. A king returning in splendor and power and glory and all of these things. And I want us to feel that same level of exhilaration as we wait for him now, to be that excited about his return now as Simeon was waiting for this humble little baby to show up. I want us to feel that same sense of awe and wonder when we think about the fact that Jesus is coming back. So uh, if you want to follow along, you can go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 19. When I said I wanted to read a lot of Bible over you, I really meant it. We're basically going to read like three of the last four chapters of Revelation because I couldn't, I couldn't pare it down anymore. I kept reading through it and I'm like, do I need all of this? It's, it's too good to cut out. So, so if you'll go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 19, just to give you an idea of what John, who's being given this vision, is, has been seeing. He's seeing... He's seeing God work out the final fulfillment of everything. He's seeing the war. He's seeing this, this battle between, between God and Satan, good and evil, playing out on a massive scale. He's seeing how it looks like evil is slowly taking over, taking over. Things are getting so much worse, so much worse, so much worse. But then, and what we're going to read now, then Jesus gets here. And it's no contest. So Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. 
And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who, were, who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's us. That's the church. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And this is it. This is Jesus. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped its image." These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Some of that's like rough. But here's the thing. Here's the picture. Here it is. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back humbly. He's not coming back weak. He's not coming back in a way that we're like, why did he come in such a simple fashion. When Jesus comes back, he's going to lay it down and he's going to end it. That promise, this broken relationship, these things that we've struggled with for thousands of years, sin and pain and suffering and all of these things, when he comes back, he's putting an end to it finally. It's done. This doesn't describe a great battle. This describes Jesus coming in and saying, no, it's over. There is no fight back when Jesus comes back. When he returns, he's ending all of it. All of the sin, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the sadness, all of that goes away when Jesus returns. 
And it's describing us. We are getting to be with him. We are preparing ourselves for his return, for this great celebration, this marriage supper, right? Think of, think of a big fancy wedding, right? I, the best one I can think of is the big fat Greek wedding that I went to that one time when I was a kid when they literally rented out an art museum for the reception. Like, big deal, big party. Let's all celebrate. This is amazing. This is kind of what we're getting ourselves ready for. I'm going to skip ahead to Revelation chapter 21. This is kind of the follow-up. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I love this, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his, this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars... Their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So he's saying there's this new perfect place that we get to live. And you may be saying, but I've, I've done some of those things in verse 8. I have been cowardly. I have been faithless. I have been detestable. I have been any number of these things in this list. But this is... This is the beauty of what Jesus came and brought when he first came. Is that, that he came and he brought a way to save us from ourselves. He, he, he came and, and, and his death, his sacrifice on our behalf makes it possible for that all to be wiped clean, wiped away. So that we no longer are seen by God as cowardly, faithless, detestable people who are lost in our sin and broken and wicked in all sorts of ways who come up with all sorts of creative ways to sin and break, our, and break God's trust. Now, he says, I'm making all things new. I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you a new life. I'm giving you a new set of desires, a new set of passions, a new set of objectives. And for those of us in the church, this is good news. But for those of us here who maybe don't really understand the gospel, please hear this. We don't have to stay in that list in verse 8. That doesn't have to be us. Christ came once and died once and made possible salvation for you. And that's what I want you to hear. 
I want these words in, in Revelation 22, which I'm just about to read. I want these words to be powerful and meaningful to you. And I want you to feel what John feels when we get to the end of this chapter. I want you to feel this. I want you to feel it deep down inside. Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and to the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding, each, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord... The God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brother, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one of you for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water without, of life without price I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. That cry right there at the end when he says, surely I'm coming soon. And then John just says, yes. 
come, Lord Jesus, come be with us. That's how I want us to feel. I want us to be ready for him to come back. I want us to so desire to be with Jesus forever that he would come and end this. It would be so driven by that that you could just see it in us. We could be a people who know that we want Jesus to be here with us now. And that that desire, come, Lord Jesus, would just drive us, would define us. That we would be so excited by who he is and what he has already done that our lives would just be this, this outcry of, Jesus, please come be with us. We love you so much and we want to be with you. I want us to be those people. And so today, we're remembering that Jesus came. We're celebrating his birthday, right? We're celebrating this idea that Jesus came to be with us and we as the church should be just as excited that he came and that he is coming back as they were in Luke chapter 2 when these these humble shepherds go throughout the city saying, let me tell you what it is that I just saw. Let me tell you who it is that I just saw. And you have this, this, this old man who's tired and ready and, and get, is, is, is wondering when this promise is going to be fulfilled, who comes and says, this is it. This is the guy. I want us to feel that level of emotion. And then when we hear what it's going to look like when he comes back and he makes all of these things new, he takes away all the sin and the sadness and the pain. I want us to want that. I want us to love that idea and I want us to rejoice when we know that we get to experience that. We're making ourselves ready for his return now. And that's why I told Nick not to pick slow songs, but to pick joyful songs and happy songs and things worth celebrating. So he's got one more. You just have one. Just one. And joy's in the title. So I want us to rejoice. I want us to be happy. I want us to be excited about what he did. I know I read a lot. And so you're probably sitting here thinking, he read a lot. But that is no reason to be down. That's no reason to have no energy. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing Joy to the World. The Lord has come. And we're going to be excited and it's going to be amazing. You know this one. That's a good one to have as a favorite. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to rejoice as the church and then we're going to go celebrate Christ being here on earth with us throughout the rest of our day. So let's pray. God, Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for answering the big promise that you made thousands and thousands of years ago that you were going to fix this. You were going to take away all the sin, all the brokenness. You were going to reconcile this severed relationship that we have with you. Thank you for sending Jesus. And God, I pray that you would get a hold of our hearts this morning. That you would fill us with joy at the thought that we get to experience that same thing, that same being in your presence, that you are coming back, that we would just be so excited about the idea that Jesus is going to come and be with us and take all the pain away. God, I pray that you would make that true in all of our hearts this morning. Maybe there is someone in here whose heart doesn't fully get this yet. And God, I pray right now that through the way that we worship, through the way that we celebrate your son in this place as your church, that you would just make it make sense. You'd give us all hearts that desire to know and love and serve and worship you. So God, I pray that you would inspire this time of worship that we have right now as we sing and we worship your son. In his name we pray.
Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.